Brilliant. Uh, Pastor Tim said we're speaking on values today, and I'm really excited about that. Um, he mentioned last week um, about, he was talking about the national values and your personal values as a person. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Here at City Church, we have a discipleship pathway. Thank you very much. Can we give Chris a round of applause for his just amazing coordination? Thank you, Chris. Um, here at uh, City Church MacArthur, we have a discipleship pathway, and it's on the wall at the front as you walk in. Believe, connect, serve, and multiply. Basically, this discipleship pathway is a way that we see as a church that people can be discipled and become better followers of Jesus and to become more like Jesus. Um, and within, the, within that discipleship pathway, under there we have two, um, sorry, two prescribed values under each discipleship pathway. Um, and we're going to go through a value series where we really start to define and to understand those values in the context of what we do here at City Church. If you're part of City Church, this is who we are and what we do. Um, and sometimes values, as you know, can be aspirational. We're not there yet. Some of them are actual. We're already living it. But my prayer is as we go through this series... Um, that we're able to really digest what it means to be a part of City Church. And more than that, if, it's, if you, this isn't your home, um, that what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be a part of the kingdom of God. Um, who's excited for that? Amazing. So, um, so for those of you who don't know, my name is Joe, and I'm a part of the, um, the team here at City Church and volunteer on a weekly basis. Um, and I'm so excited that you're here and you're going to hear this sermon. I hope today um, it elicits either a response or a, a reminder or even repentance as we go through some foundational things of what it means to worship God. So the number one value that we have here at City Church is worship God, and that's the one I'm covering today. Um, the vision of the church, as Pastor Timothy shared last week, is so others may live. And really the reason why we are discipled and the, the reason why we go through this pathway, the reason why we live at our, our values is that so others may live. We have an outward focus that we're here to make a difference and an impact on the kingdom of God. Um, and just to go through the values, and Pastor Timothy flags with me just before this, that they are working on a, having a public display of these values somewhere in the church. As you know, they're creative and they're going to do a great job with that. But I'll list the values just in its entirety. I'm only speaking on the first one today, just so you have an awareness of what we stand for and how we live here at City Church and who we are. So the first one is worship God. The second one is deepen faith. And they're both under the believe banner of the discipleship pathway. Under the Connect banner is love people and show grace. I think just phenomenal values when dealing with people. And then under serve is to build strength and pursue excellence. Also phenomenal. And then under multiply, we're called to live generously and equip others. Um, but today, as I said, I'm going to go through worship God. And under these values, um, Pastor Jason Smith, our senior pastor, he went around in around 2018, 2019, and he went through the team meetings of the different campuses of City Church, this one, MacArthur, uh, this one being MacArthur, Nara, and Batemans Bay. And he went, and as a, um, as a church, we developed these values to really speak out the culture of who we are and how we want to live and what we want to be known for. So these values weren't just made up in a boardroom. They were made by us, the people, and we're here to build that so we're on, in one mind and one purpose carrying this forward. And under each of those values were three practical applications of what that looks like. And today I'm going to be speaking to the ones of Worship God, the three practical applications um, to what it looks like to worship God. But before we get into it, I'm going to pray. God, we thank you for this wonderful afternoon uh, with these lovely people, God. We just thank you for the faithfulness of you, that you stand with us throughout whatever circumstance and you're with us in this place. 
God, I pray that as we uh, explore this value of worshipping God, that you would expand our thinking um, around it, Lord God. You would develop our thinking and our understanding about what, what it means to worship you, to honour you, uh, to have reverence for you, God. Um, so God, I just pray today that um, the Holy Spirit would be doing a new work in people. There would be a deepening of understanding and faith and knowledge, um, and there would be a spurring on of, of, of faith in the atmosphere and in the room, and it wouldn't fall um, on, on bad soil, God, but we would take this and we would digest it, we would grow, we would harvest this throughout our weeks and going forward as we go through the value series, as we could be on one accord, one mind, one purpose, and in unity, God, knowing where you're taking us and how we're going to get there. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Worship God. I should have it on the screens here. But here are the three practical applications just to give you an overview of where we're going today. The first one is to worship God means to worshiping passionately through a regular personal time with God. Anyone agree that it's important to worship passionately and have a regular time with God. The second one is studying thoroughly, reading and applying the Bible. Also very important. And then the third one I'll go through today is to engage actively or engaging actively in weekly church services. These are the three practical applications that we find under Worship God. And obviously, this we could you, the term worship is quite broad and we're going to visit that. But these are three key things we see as what we do and who we are um, and what drives our behavior. See, values are a measuring stick. We can look at our lives. We can look at the, the culture of our church and measure ourselves. How are we going against who we say we are and what we're aspiring to be? And this will drive our church culture. So firstly, what is worship? Worship means to show honor and reverence to God. It's showing a trust to God. And I love this first one, worshiping passionately through a regular personal time with God. That's the first one we're going to go through. And there's a few key words in that that point out to me when I first look at this. The first one is passion. What does it mean to worship God passionately? Interesting thought. And if you look up what the definition of passion is, many modern uh, interpretations of passion is like a in strong, intense emotion and desire and feeling. And, and to worship God with strong emotion, desire and feeling isn't a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Um, but if you look at the etymology of the word passion, um, at the root of that word, the derivative is the word suffer, to suffer, to endure. Hence why we have the passion of Christ when he's going through that period of his life where he was suffering when he was arrested. So I, I honestly, I, I don't actually know which one we're meant to be using here, but I think both are valid. Um, when we're looking at worshiping God, we can not only in, uh, worship God with, um, with passion in terms of um, strong emotion and desire, but I think it's important that we worship God even when we don't feel the emotion and when we, when we are feeling like we're going through a time of suffering or when we need to endure through something, I feel like that's an equally important time to worship God because I, here's the question. Growing up in youth ministry, Pentecostal ministries, there's children or teenagers jumping up and down and worshipping in a mosh pit. Is that less worshipping or more worshipping than a widow kneeling in her bedroom speaking to God? Are they different? Are they the same thing? Can both be valid? Are both equally worship? It would be easy for a, a contemporary Christian to analyze worship through room aesthetics, emotional experience, even 
the equipment that we sometimes have in a corporate worship experience. But throughout history, the focus of worship has been primarily centered on the spirit-generated adoration of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we see throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, Daniel, a faithful man of God in Daniel chapter 6. He sits at the window after a decree comes out throughout his town that no one should worship any other gods. He, he, he goes to his window where he always prays. And three, he prays three times a day and he opens his window and, 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 and he's kneeling, looking out towards Jerusalem. That's, that's a, a form of worship. And then we see many other types of worship throughout the Bible. Another word that sticks out to me when we say worshiping passionately through regular personal time with God is the word regular. It implies a frequency. It implies a consistency. And the other one is personal. It's, there's a commitment for us to have a personal relationship with God. We're not relying on, on coming to church, although that's critically important um, because I'm going to talk about that one later. Um, but we, it is a personal, direct thing that we have. Uh, we're a priesthood of believers and we can connect directly to God. And it's between you and Him. So I want to dispel two types of myths that worship isn't exclusively music, although I think that's critically important. And I'm going to speak about that later in the third point. Um, and also personal time with God, we sometimes limit it to prayer, but it can be so much more than that as well. So my first question for you today is how do you worship God? What does worshiping God look like for you? I want to follow up that question with is, it, is your worship defined or does it, is it limited to 15 minutes and three songs on a Sunday? Can you only worship God when Christian music is playing in the background through your phone or however means? Is it something we can only do in the company of others? Or is it something that we can do all the time? Don't get me wrong. I think there is, a, a, there is incredible, life-changing things I've experienced and seen in the corporate corporate worship setting, and as I said, I will touch on that later because I think it's remarkable. People have encounters with God, healings happen, praise happens. But I think there is a great danger when we reduce our life's worship to a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon praise and worship set. Let me, let me read Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Before this, he was saying, therefore, before this in uh, chapter 11, he's talking about the compassion and mercy of God upon us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters of the Apostle Paul, in view of God's mercy, his compassion towards us, his withholding of punishment from our sinfulness, in response, we're to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Back in the day, Old Testament times, it was animal sacrifice in order for us to come close to God. In, in view of Jesus' sacrifice, we are now holy and pleasing because we are in Christ. This is your true and proper worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. I think it is such a great pleasure that God withholds His punishment from us by His mercies through Jesus Christ who died for us, forgave us of our sins. I think it's just beautiful. And in response, God is asking for us to give our lives to Him. So worship looks like giving our whole lives to Jesus. 
not just parts of it. It's our 24-7 availability to Jesus that is what God wants. And because of that, we therefore reject the patterns of this world. We reject the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Because guess what? The world's default is not to live in worship to God. We give our lives to God. The world's pattern and default is not to worship God. Hence why we have to not conform to the world's pattern. The world's pattern isn't structured so we slow down and acknowledge our Creator and give Him the honour and reverence that He deserves. Instead, we're called to follow the patterns of Jesus and offer our lives as a worship to God. It is then we learn God's will completely or in full measure. So let me ask the question, what does it look like to spend regular personal time with God? Hence, that's what we say. We're, we're saying that we are people that spend time with God. What does that look like? First of all, we must recognize it is a discipline. It requires discipline to spend regular personal time with God. It's an ongoing, repeating thing that we must do. If you want some books, I've read some of these books partially or incomplete. Uh, Richard Foster has a great book on spiritual disciplines. Pete Scazzaro has a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Home is a great resource as well. And then I've been really, uh, my life, uh, my, my mindset around the presence of God and being in the presence of God was completely transformed by reading the writings of a, of a guy called Brother Lawrence from the 1500s um, called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a classic. If you want to read something powerful, I encourage you to read that. And this is where some of my thinking and over the last few months around this has gone. So what does it look like to worship passionately through a regular personal time with God? Engaging in spiritual disciplines. Craig Groeschel says this, and I love it. He says, stay disciplined. Successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. People that are successful at things do things consistently what other people do occasionally. What would your life look like if you spent regular time with God, personal time with Jesus? Regular personal time with God means we have markers and moments in our life where we stop and we recognize our Creator and we sit in God's presence. It means we have specific times and days that we set out throughout our weeks to spend one-on-one -on -one time with Him. We intentionally spend time with God. We dwell, we bask, we be in His presence. I encourage you, find one time in a day or multiple times in a day where you can just spend personal time with God. Set a routine, set time where possible to be in a relationship with God. When I was working back at the bank, uh, one of the, the key manager guys there, he would take five minutes in his day and he would turn on this meditation app at lunchtime was at three times in a day, uh, one of them being around morning tea, lunchtime, he would go and take this meditation app to escape from the world and to clear his mind. See, for him, it worked for him. He wasn't a Christian bloke and he was finding secular means to do it. But how important and how incredible would it be for your day if you took three moments, three five-minute moments in your day to reset and think about God? What are the spiritual disciplines that we can practice? I hear that we must pray to God and prayer is the main thing and I think prayer is powerful and it is and I encourage you to pray. But we should recognize there's other ways, there's other spiritual disciplines we can do to connect with God. Because these disciplines help us reject the patterns of this world, not conform to the world around us, the distractions of this world. 
One of the greatest things that will stop you from advancing in your relationship with God and growing closer to Jesus and following Him and being discipled is distractions. So the practice of silence. These are things you might not hear in a, in a modern day church setting. The practice of silence. You're not conforming to the noise of this world. Solitude. Getting away from crowds and people sometimes, not living in isolation, but taking that time to actually have personal one-on-one time with God. Do you give God one-on-one time? Meditating on the Scripture, meditation. What does this do? This rejects the world's patterns of anxious and the fleshly patterns of anxious thoughts and worldliness and temptation and evil thoughts that can cross our minds. Obviously, prayer is a spiritual discipline. This can be praise, praising God. God, you are worthy. You're the king above all kings. You're the Lord above all lords. It can be petition. God, I just, I I need you right now. I need you to break through in this area. It can be in tongues. If you have the spiritual gift of tongues, you can speak in tongues and edify your body in personal time. You can fast. You're rejecting the world's pattern against indulgence and greed and and, um, gluttony. And then Sabbath and rest, I think, is lost in our modern world. What does it look like to rest? It's interesting, God patterns rest and Sabbath before the law even came into place. So there's a pattern, there's a reason why God rests. We can, we can work against the, the distraction and the patterns of busyness and overworking we have in this world. The 24-7 nature of what we're called to do. We rely on God and say, God, you know what? I can take a day off or I can rest because you, I am dependent on you. You are my provider. See, the world's pattern is fleshly and unfulfilling. And for many people, these disciplines might seem like religion. They might seem like a ritual and they seem unfulfilling. But many of these things, Jesus practiced himself. Jesus would often find private time to get away from the disciples. They would wake up and say, where's Jesus? And he's off in solitude praying. They're in a boat and it's chaotic and he's resting beneath the boat. We sometimes don't view Jesus through the human lens of how did he actually live his spiritual life? How did he walk a spiritual life in a world that was crazy and full of distraction? See, another big point I want to make, and I got this out of Brother Lawrence's writings, which is so beautiful. Just for context, Brother Lawrence was a, was a monk in the 1500s in Paris in a monastery. Very simple man, was a, a part of the hospitality team there, but had such inspiring writings that they last centuries. One of the key points he makes in his writings is this, is that the presence of God is the ends and not the means. Powerful thought. The presence of God is, not the, is the ends, it's not the means. Imagine you had a friend. Imagine you had a friend who didn't spend time with you because he liked you or, or because she liked you, but because they wanted something from you or they just felt like they were ticking a box. I don't want a friend like I don't want to be that friend and I don't want a friend like that. We don't spend time with God friends because it makes us feel better, because we get something from it. We're in his presence because we love him. That's the place we should be coming. We love God. We say we have a relationship with Jesus. We re, we you know, relationship over religion. We say we have a relationship with Jesus, but often unfortunately we can treat it transactionally. Our love for God is the reason why we are in His presence. And don't get me wrong, we reap great spiritual benefits from being in His presence. There is great spiritual blessings and benefits we get 
Our inner man is transformed and built because we're in his presence, but that's not the reason we do it. We don't do it for selfish means. We do it out of a love for God. Out of his presence, we get love, joy, renewal, confidence, security, and all the spiritual fruit. We get that, but we're in his presence. We spend personal, regular time with God because we love him, first and foremost, and everything else comes out of that place. Psalm 16, 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God's presence fills us with joy, and it is the reason where there is because we love him. Another great tip. If you love the presence of God, guess what? You don't have to leave it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ. Pray without ceasing. In Christ Jesus for you. Sorry, it was cut off from my thing here. Pray without ceasing. What does it look like for you to pray without ceasing? What does it look like to have a continual conversation with God throughout the day? So when things come up in your life and things come to disturb your peace, you can say, you know what, Jesus, are you helping me in this moment? God, are you going to help me through this conversation that I'm having or about to have right now? Jesus, let me keep my cool in this situation. That's really frustrating me what that person's doing. And you can have this continual conversation and prayer with God throughout the day. And guess what? You don't have to leave his presence. Coming into the building, we come corporately and we experience a different type of presence where God is here and he's moving the Holy Spirit. But you don't have to, you don't have to wait till Sunday to have that, friends. You can have that every day of the week, every hour, every minute, and every second of the day. Jesus is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You can have that all the time. His presence is in you and the Spirit intercedes for you. You never have to leave his presence. I spent a long time on that one. I do apologize, um, but we're going to number two, studying thoroughly, reading and applying the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Who's heard that one before? A few of us. See, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Who's heard of the, God, the Word of God as a weapon? It's a weapon. Who has heard of the term Bible bashing? <laughs> Do we agree with both? <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> See, I love what it says to you. The Word of God <clears throat> penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joint, joints and marrow. It judges the, the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. What it's saying here is that the Word of God can get into the parts of our life that are unseen. You can't see soul and spirit. You can't see joints and marrow. That's where the Word of God goes. It's so sharp that it penetrates into the hidden places of people's hearts. So guess what? First and foremost, the weapon of the Word of God is to be used against you, against your flesh. Not your spirit, man, but against your flesh. When fleshly things come, the Word of God is there to, to, to knock those things away. And, and it's also to be used against the devil. And I think the danger for us Christians is that we study thoroughly, read and apply the Bible, but try to use it against unbelievers before using it against ourselves. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. He goes there 40 days fasting and praying. And what I find phenomenal, I'm not going to go through, the, read out the whole thing, but what I find phenomenal about this situation is that the devil tempts him three times the lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. He gives him three 
ultimatums and three opportunities uh, to, to give in to the devil. And each time Jesus replies, as it is written, and he quotes scripture to, to, um, to get rid of the devil, to, to defeat the guy right there and then. What I find also interesting about that moment, this is why it's so important that we're all studying thoroughly, reading and applying the Bible personally. What I find interesting about that is Jesus is not the only one to quote scripture in that scenario. The devil quoted scripture to Jesus in the second temptation. So when we have the word of God, we're using it as a weapon against our flesh and also against the devil, the enemy. But the enemy is, is smart in the sense that he knows the word. So how important is it for us to know the word even more? <laughs> the only way to Jesus to counter the devil in this situation where the devil comes and gives quote scripture is he tried to trick and take it out of context and manipulate Jesus. But Jesus says, I know scripture. I'm Jesus. <laughs> I am the word. Um, and we must study thoroughly the Bible so that when we're put into situations where the devil is tempting or putting us under great stress and we have decisions to make and we're in situations that uh, there's a moral dilemma or there's a spiritual decision you have to make in your family or in your workplace, that we thoroughly know the word of God. Because we can then defend the attacks. If we don't know the Word of God, if we don't know what we believe or what we stand for or what we're meant to do as Christians, how can we live that out? It's just not impossible to apply something, something we don't know. I love this because many Christians won't apply the Bible and won't become more like Christ because they simply don't read it. It's a great challenge. And I think one of the greatest scapegoats of accountability is that I, don't know, I didn't know card. And we just can't afford to do that as Christians. I remember uh, many situations uh, when it comes to the police, people are like, I didn't know the law. I didn't know the, I didn't know the speed limit. Well, most cops don't say, you know what, mate, you're, you're all right. You can move on. There's, there's no speed limit here. It's all good. We'd, you didn't know. That's fine. But there's, there's an opportunity for us as believers to grow and develop if we read the Word of God, if we know what we stand for and we know the rules around what we do. It's our responsibility. The onus is on us to engage with the Word of God. See, the Word of God is critical to the life of the believer and studying thoroughly, reading and applying the Word is so important. Anyone heard of a guy called William Tyndale, testing someone's historical knowledge? William Tyndale, some people. He was a gentleman in the 1500s, a leading figure in the Protestant Reformation movement and also a leading Bible scholar and incredible man of God. And he was the guy that was first working on, where there were some people that came before him in the area of Bible translation, but he was the first person to successfully translate the Greek version of the New Testament into the English version of the New Testament. And you say, well, good job, good on him, well done, that's great. Um, great for the church, great for Christians worldwide, good on him. But you must realise that this man faced great opposition the king of England at the time, the Catholic church was like rampant and uh, there was a lot of power and regular, you must realise that regular people, Christians in England and in the English speaking world had no access in the 1500s and, and before that to an English translation of the Bible. They didn't have access to the word of God. We have a, I have a Bible here. This is an NLT. I used to use it in the youth ministry days and I, and I love it. There's multiple translations. We have like 30, 40 translations of the English translation these days. You might have one sitting in your home. You might have it on your lap or next to you right now. You might have it on your phone and you can scroll through on your version app or whatever app you use. We have it at our fingertips. And this man paid for his life in translating this, 
Bible. Though he was eventually arrested and trialed in Netherlands for heresy, for translating the Bible from the Greek into the English, because he was bringing it, he wanted to bring the Bible to everyone, to commoners, so they could read it, so the Catholic Church couldn't abuse their power in applying the scriptures. And he was put up onto a stake. He was strangled from the neck behind and then burnt on a stake for translating the English, uh, the Greek to the English Bible. And then it was a, a little time after that that they got the Hebrew into the thing. This was his legacy in August 1536. He was convicted and executed, burned at the stake. This is the cost that people have paid for having this in our fingertips. And we have it. Till this day, people pay a significant price. People all over the world die for holding a copy of this. The Word of God. I've spoken to a number, personally, I've spoken to a number of Bible smugglers. They go into the most dangerous places in the world and they smuggle Bibles because Christians there are desperate just to have a glimpse. One page, two pages, share one Bible around a congregation of 400 just to hear the Word of God. And we have it at our fingertips and we don't read it. See, the problem in the West here isn't the challenge of access. We have it. It's the challenge of our own availability and willingness to read it. We should read it, friends. See, when we, what this Bible contains, it's words and text and ink. It's great. But it's not just a collection of nice stories, but it contains the good news of the kingdom of God. It, it carries power and significance. It is alive and working. It has life and death importance within, the, within these scriptures. We can explore the value in the story of God from Genesis to Revelation, how God has been working through his nation of Israel, reflecting on the life of Jesus in the Gospels. This is the record of what we have of Jesus Christ. We have wisdom and advice from the apostles in the early church. It is wise and it is necessary for believers to recognize that people have come before us and there's lessons to be learned within the Scriptures. We are a part of the story of God. You are a part of the story of God. God is working through you as a vessel in His kingdom to continue the story of God, the redemption and restoration of, of mankind here on earth. He is relying on the church. He is relying on you. So it is up to us to be inspired and live a godly life through the Scriptures. I'm going to get off this topic soon. I know it's, it's sounding a bit heavy, but 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen to that. So the servant of God, us as people, disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus Christ, that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We must fuel and we must come from a position of scriptural knowledge and, and, and knowing of God when we go to do good work, if we're not fueled by Scripture, we're going to um, fall very short of experience the fullness of God in whatever we're doing. So you can read the Bible devotionally, studying, reading, and applying. Um, just to go practical for a second here, there's, you can devotionally read the Bible. So many people would have a devotion book or a set of Bible plans, and they read what someone has interpreted through a Bible passage in them, or they might read one a day. That is a great way to read the Bible, but I challenge you, the value says to study thoroughly. As good as devotional books are, they're great, and I've used many devotion and Bible plans. As good as Christian books are even, it doesn't replace reading the direct Word of God and studying it for yourself. They're great supplements, but never replacements. 
It, it is amazing when God speaks directly through to you through the Word of God. When you read a passage, you might read the, the letter, the epistle to the Ephesians or the epistle to the Philippians. It's four chapters. It might take you 25 minutes. But these things are accessible and able. So when you study the Word, you can research the historical, cultural backgrounds, what it means. You can get commentaries to help you and assist you. You can talk to someone here in the church. If you know someone that's a good Bible study, approach them, say, hey, I'm reading this passage. I'm reading this letter. What does this mean? I'm wrestling with this. And people are open to helping you through the discipleship process. That's what community is for. Number three, the last one that we're going through, the last practical implication to worship God. We worship God firstly through worshiping passionately and spending regular personal time with God. Secondly, studying thoroughly and reading and applying the Scriptures. And number three, engaging actively in weekly church services. Well done on being on church this week. You guys are smashing this one. You guys are here. Um, But what does it look like to actively engage in church? Are we actively engaged? There is importance in regular gatherings. um, And this value, it's not leaving out midweek gatherings or anything like that. They're going to be covered in, in other values throughout the value series. So we're not saying that it's exclusively a Sunday morning gathering. You should only come in a week. We, there's plenty of opportunity to get involved in the life of the church more than that. But we know that the Sunday gathering is critically important for believers or the weekly gathering of believers. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, not neglecting in some translations the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do not neglect, neglect the giving up, do not, not giving up meetings together. Another scripture here, I forget the scripture reference, I didn't put it here. Be filled with the Spirit. I've got a feeling it's in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And this is what we do in a weekly gathering. Yeah, cool. Uh, corporate worship, we come here together and we gather as a community of believers. Firstly, to encourage one another. Secondly, we have clear scriptural um, prescription here to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So we're called together to come and sing together and to meet together so we can be encouraging one another so that we go out and do good works. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about being the body of Christ. They're all one body and there's multiple parts in the body of Christ. And we're all called to function in the body. So engaging actively means that the gifts and the abilities and the calling that God has put on your life, you are called to actively engage with that in the meeting of believers. The body can't function without every single part of the body being there. If you think of a human body, and that's the analogy that the Apostle Paul uses in in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says that what can the body do without the eye? If we don't have an eye, then you're sort of walking around with one eye. What can you do without an arm, knee? He's just using all these body parts. Point is that as as the body of Christ, we cannot be at our optimum performance. We We won't be fully effective unless we're all working together and playing a part. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think the weekly gathering and uh, of the weekly gathering of believers, I think, is an incredible opportunity to equip the work of service and equip the people. These moments are for the equipping. This isn't the main event, friends. This isn't the only event that we're called to be as the body of Christ. A Sunday morning is here for the gathering, the celebration Sunday. We all come together and encourage one another. We sing songs of praise to God, and there's an equipping through the word. But that equipping is to equip you to go throughout your week and to, to work out the kingdom of God in your life and to do ministry in your own life. Ministry isn't confined to purely a platform or a church building, but ministry is something we carry throughout our life. It is the service to God. And here it says that the pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles are called to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The whole body benefits when everyone is actively engaged and equipped and involved. So I think here the weekly church service is a wonderful opportunity to come together to celebrate, to encourage, to fellowship and be equipped. And believe it or not, it's the practice and the discipline of Christians all over the world throughout centuries and even millennia, believe it or not. There's people in Australia meeting weekly. There's people in the US, there's people in Canada, there's people in New Zealand, there's people in Pakistan. There's people in China, there's people in all around the world, the weekly gathering of the saints. It is a rhythm and it is a pattern that we follow as believers because we know the importance of gathering together. There was a pandemic, there was a sickness and people still, how can I engage, jump on Zoom? We're there weekly gathering together because we recognise the value of being together as the body of Christ. We actively participate in a Sunday morning service. That's what we value and what we do with the intention to work out our salvation. There is ample opportunity to get actively engaged in a church service. We're not called to be merely passive recipients, but we take responsibility to be actively engaged. Here's some ways we can do that. We can offer encouragement and build others up as we're welcomed through the door. We can smile to people, love others in speech and action. We can come together in corporate worship and belt out some hymns or some Hillsong or some Bethel, Maverick City, whatever your tune is. We can praise the name of Jesus through worship and praise, through song and dance, through the raising of hands, where burdens can be lifted and freedom expressed. These are transformative opportunities we have on a Sunday morning, but it requires us to be actively engaged. We actively prepare our focus and attention for a 30, 40 minute sermon, which you guys have done a great job, to which a teacher or preacher puts in hours of preparation. See, when we come into the building, not only are we honouring the person preparing the Word, but we're honouring our own time when we, when we engage in the Word. Where we're saying, you know what, I've, I'm here for 30 minutes, I might as well just engage and learn and see how I can be transformed. For those who are extra engaged, you might take notes on your phones or notepads or even shout an amen from time to time. You might talk to someone after the service and offer a listening ear to someone 
who's had a hard week or celebrate someone who's just had a miracle or got a, a praise report, a testimony in your life. You might have a word of knowledge or a prophetic word to share with one of our other brothers or sisters. You might even believe or pray for healing if someone's come in sick, hurting or injured. You might choose to volunteer and look, we have phenomenal volunteers within the church. A way you could actively engage if you feel like this isn't you or you want to be that, a way you can actively engage. You can help, there's plenty of things that you can help in terms of the service. You can help clean the church, wash the windows, clean the bathrooms, toilets, vacuum, wipe the counters, prepare the coffee machine, serve in cafe, smile, shake people's hands, welcome people into the gathering of believers. You might want to learn the sound decks, desk, sorry, sing or play an instrument support the church financially or even sacrifice one Sunday every two months to invest in the next generation of kids in the room next door. See, there is a plethora of ways to actively engage in the Sunday service. And this is what we do at City Church. So just to go over my three points, this is our way that we worship God here at City Church and it's a great thing that goes beyond City Church even and in the Kingdom of God. What is a great way to worship God? Number one, we worship passionately through a regular personal time with God. Number two, we study thoroughly, reading and applying the Bible, the Word of God. And number three, we engage actively in weekly church services. You might be looking at this list and it may have been a challenge or a reminder. I don't know what it was to you. But we're going to close our eyes just for a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed across the place. Maybe one of these things has been a reminder to you or maybe it's, there's been a revelation throughout what, what I've shared today. But I'm going to give an opportunity and, and this isn't a, an opportunity. Things might not happen overnight. But what we're going to do is we're going to stand and believe together. For anyone that wants to raise their hand and say, you know what, there's one area there, Joel, that I need prayer and I need to stand in agreement as a body of believers here in the, in the collective corporate environment. I'm going to stand together in agreement, not only before God, but before our brothers and sisters here and say, you know what, I need to work on that area. Or I want a new grace for this season. I'm going to get you to raise your hand. Is there anyone in this place wants to raise their hands and say, you know what, Joel, I need, I need assistance. I need the grace of God in this season for that moment. I see that hand. I see that I see that hand as well. Is anyone anyone else that wants to stand in agreement and wants to break through in one of these areas of worshiping God? Amazing. Amazing. What we're gonna do, we're gonna stand together and then I'm gonna pray. And we're all gonna pray together and believe as a community of believers that our church will be known as worshippers, worshippers of God first and foremost. That's who we are. And we're gonna pray for those people that stepped out in faith and said, you know what? I don't have it all together right now around my worship of God, but I want to be there. I want to lay my life down again in worship and in honour and reverence of God. Let's pray. God, we thank You today. We reach out to the heavens and we petition to You, God, and we ask for Your divine assistance and help, God. We pray that You would reach down to Your people. Your mercies would be afresh today. Lord God, we acknowledge that Your presence is here and it's within us. And we want to spend more time in that presence. We want to actively be aware and engaged of Your presence in our day-to-day life. God, when, when, when it feels tough and the emotion is, 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 um, is difficult to manage, when the circumstances around us aren't fantastic and we just need a, a glimpse of Your presence, God, we pray that we would look to You because You're always available. So God, I pray that if anyone here is struggling with a personal time with God, 
They don't have a regular time, a frequency to, to spending personal time with Jesus, our beautiful Jesus. God, I just pray that You would give them the grace to do that. You would allow them to have the spiritual discipline to meet with You on a regular, that they would do it consistently, not occasionally, not sometimes, not when I remember or an emergency comes, but consistently will spend personal time with You. And God, I pray for those who spend time with God that those moments would be enriched and they would experience more of the beauty of You. We pray number two, God, for those who are struggling with studying the Word of God, of reading the Word of God and applying the Word of God. God, we just pray that in those moments where they flip open those pages or they flick on that application on their, on their device, God, that You would allow uh, the Word of God to be in focus. God, You would remove distractions and temptations. You would remove the distraction of flicking to another application of social media. You remove the distraction of TV or of other people trying to capture their attention, God, and You allow them to focus on Your Word. And Your Word would come alive again in their life, just like it did 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whenever they gave their life to You. They will read the letters and the words of Jesus and they'll bounce off the page again. God, I pray that You would give them a depth of knowledge and understanding of Your Word. You would help them navigate the complexity sometimes of Your Word and You would bring it to them simple like we are as children. We accept that. Number three, God, we pray for those that are struggling to engage with the weekly church service. God, we pray that there would be an active, spirit-filled approach to church service that our hearts would be open to participate, not just to spectate, but to, to participate, take, take responsibility in being engaged in a Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning service. God, we just pray um, that as that Spirit will come alive, there will be a growth in leadership and discipleship within this church, that there will be a wave of volunteers and willing servers in your house. And God, we just cover the Word that was spoken, God, that it be planted um, and that we, there would be a harvest from this Word. And God, we just pray that we would stay connected to You. We would stay connected to the vine. We would never leave Your presence and we would bask and dwell wherever You are and wherever You want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, church.